On page 9, we have the reading from Ezekiel 34. The word of the Lord came to me. Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, This is what the sovereign Lord says. Woe to you, shepherds of Israel, who only take care of yourselves. Should not shepherds take care of the flock? You eat the curds, clothe yourselves in the wool, and slaughter the choice animals, but you do not take care of the flock. You have not strengthened the weak or healed those who were ill or bound up the injured. You have not brought back the strays or searched for the lost. You have ruled them harshly and brutally. So they were scattered because there was no shepherd. And when they were scattered, they became food for all the wild animals. My sheep wandered all over all the mountains and on every high hill. They were scattered over the whole earth and no one searched or looked for them. Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. As surely as I live, declares the sovereign Lord, because my flock lacks a shepherd and so has been plundered and has become food for all the wild animals, and because my shepherds did not search for my flock, but cared for themselves rather than my flock. Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the sovereign Lord says. I am against the shepherds and will hold them accountable for my flock. I will remove them from tending the flock so that the shepherds can no longer feed themselves. I will rescue my flock from their mouths and it will no longer be food for them. For this is what the Sovereign Lord says, I myself will search for my sheep and look after them. As a shepherd looks after his scattered flock when he is with them, so will I look after my sheep. I will rescue them from all the places where they were scattered on a day of clouds and darkness. I will bring them out from the nations and gather them from the countries, and I will bring them into their own land. I will pasture them on the mountains of Israel, in the ravines and in all the settlements in the land. I will tend them in a good pasture, and the mountain heights of Israel will be their grazing land. There they will lie down in good grazing land, and there they will feed in a rich pasture on the mountains of Israel. I myself will tend to my sheep and make them lie down, declares the Sovereign Lord. I will search for the lost and bring back the strays. I will bind up the injured, strengthen the weak, but the sleek and the strong I will destroy. I will shepherd the flock with justice. The next reading is from John chapter 10. Very truly I tell you, Pharisees, anyone who does not enter the sheepfold by the gate but climbs in by some other way is a thief and a robber. The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. 
When he has brought out all his own, he will go on ahead of them, and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. But they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. Jesus used this figure of speech, but the Pharisees did not understand what he was telling them. Therefore, Jesus said again, very truly I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who have come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they might have life and have it to the full. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep, and my sheep know me. Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that are not of this sheepfold. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice. And there shall be one flock and one shepherd. The reason my Father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. This command I received from my father. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good evening, my name is Paul White, one of the assistant ministers here at Church Hill. It's a real privilege to be preaching from these passages uh, uh, for you this evening. Uh, and on that, it'd be lovely to keep them open, uh, pages 8 through 10 in your zine. And uh, I've got a sermon outline as well on page 11. Uh, you might like to refer to that as I, as I preach. But let me begin now by uh, saying a short prayer uh, to Jesus uh, on our behalf. Dear Lord Jesus, it may be that some amongst us this evening feel distant from you. Please remind us who you are through your word tonight. And may that realisation shape a new intimacy, a new dependency, a new joy in our relationship with you through the power of your Holy Spirit and to the pleasure of our Father in heaven. Amen. Well, there's not much to say at a funeral. So often funerals are a time of silence and solidarity, a time of empathy, a time when words can't express. Mumbled words of condolence fall short or feel token or feel so inadequate as we attempt to care for those around us who are mourning 
and also come to terms with the kaleidoscope of emotions in our own hearts. Those who do speak, uh, however, in some official capacity, well, they tend to choose their words very carefully. And those who turn to Scripture tend to turn to the very best of Scripture, like the 23rd Psalm. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Psalm 23, time and time again. I mean, you can just ask our two bishops, uh, Ray and Rob. I can only imagine how many funerals uh, they've conducted between them. Hebrew words written 3,000 years ago that somehow still tug at our souls. Somehow this image of our Lord as shepherd resonates deep within us. Providing and protecting and leading and guiding through thick and thin, his goodness and love enduring and ever-present all the days of our life. The deep and unvoiced longings of every human heart satisfied in him. Do you feel it too? The Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. Well, in today's passage, uh, we find Jesus addressing Pharisees. Uh, these were members of a powerful faction amongst first century Judaism. And they were highly respected amongst the people as those who knew their Bibles really well. And so this image of God as shepherd would have been very familiar to them. In fact, um, as we've sort of got a sense in the readings in our service so far, shepherding imagery runs right throughout the Old Testament. I mean, if we stop and think about it, David, Israel's greatest king, was a shepherd. So was Abraham, Judaism's founding father. Jacob, whose name was later changed to Israel, uh, and whom the 12 tribes of Israel came from. Well, he was a shepherd too, as was Moses, Israel's great saviour and the author of the first five books of the Bible. And the, and the list goes on and on. Amos as well. Uh, that fiery prophet was a shepherd. And, well, we also read in the Psalms, in Isaiah, in Ezekiel, in Jeremiah, in Zechariah, and in Micah of God as shepherd. So much so that it almost seems like direct resume experience shepherding a flock was a qualification for leadership, a qualification for kingship, for prophetic or priestly office over God's people. In the Old Testament, God appoints under-shepherds over his people, prophets, priests, and kings. But one day, as we sort of saw there in Ezekiel 34, he promises that he will come in the person of his son to shepherd his flock. And so we find in Jesus, the one who draws together all these strands of Old Testament leadership in perfection. All the other leaders of God's people with all their promise and all their flaws 
point to him, anticipate him, find their fulfilment and perfect expression in him, in in Jesus Christ, prophet, priest, king and shepherd par excellence. Jesus is the very mouthpiece of God, the word become flesh, the last and greatest prophet. He's our great high priest, we read in the book of Hebrews, who sacrificed himself on the altar of the cross once and for all for the sins of the world and is right now interceding before the Father in heaven on our behalf. Prophet, priest, the Bible tells us he is King of kings and Lord of lords, the one before whom every knee shall bow. Prophet, priest and king. And finally today, uh, we learn that Jesus is good, is the good shepherd, John 10. Uh, You could find in Hebrews uh, the reference that he's also the great shepherd, Hebrews 13, or the chief shepherd, 1 Peter 5. Micah in the Old Testament prophesied about Jesus in these words. He said, he will stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God, and they will live securely, for then his greatness will reach to the ends of the earth. It's Micah 5. And so here we have Jesus Christ, prophet, priest, king, and shepherd. Uh, incidentally, um, did you know the word pastor, uh, Justin, pastor, um, is Latin for shepherd? Uh, you may also have heard in church circles of pastoral care. Well, now you know why. Jesus as shepherd. And so with the weight of the Old Testament um, behind this passage, um, shepherding imagery, if we're then deeply to understand who Jesus is and who we are in relation to him, if we're truly to understand and to commit to our, our sort of stated goal over the next five years of deeper discipleship, well, then we need to press into this figure of speech a little, don't we? As Jesus, in fact, invites us to do this evening in John chapter 10. And I have a, a rather blunt summary for you. Uh, Two or three words. Uh, basically, we're sheep. Jesus is the good shepherd, and we're sheep. Which, on the face of it, is hardly a flattering depiction, is it? I mean, we can understand why Psalm 23 is universally loved. Uh, still waters, green pastures, rest for our souls. But the inverse. Not so much God as shepherd, but us as sheep. Well, it doesn't come across as all that complimentary. I mean, when you think about it, um, there are all manner of animals in Scripture. You might remember our series in Job recently. Uh, We read of mighty lions and fleet-footed deer and the strength of oxen and the majesty of the horse with flowing mane and the the speed of the ostrich and the awe-inspiring leviathan. All of the natural realm to draw upon And Jesus settles on sheep as the next best comparison for humankind. What do we make of this? I mean, when a stallion breaks free of his enclosure, he runs wild and free. When a sheep escapes, it dies. Sheep aren't all that bright, and they're absolutely defenceless. They're given to listless wandering. They're quite happy grazing on poisonous weeds. Apparently, they've even been known to walk into open fire. Apparently, uh, even fit and healthy sheep are prone to a condition where they're kind of like just sitting on the ground and then they 
end up sort of tilting over and end up on their backs and, and their feet are in the air, a bit like a turtle. And it's at such an angle that, well, they, no matter how much sort of frantic kicking goes on, they're unable to right themselves. Furthermore, sheep are at once timid uh, and stubborn, uh, which means that they can be frightened at the most ridiculously minor things, and at other times, nothing can move them. There's a picture building here. Um, I'm told that of all the animals that you might seek to domesticate and raise, sheep take the most work. But in the ancient world, sheep were precious. Every part of a sheep was valuable for food and sacrifices, uh, although most of them were kept for the long term because of their wool. So we have sheep, <laughs> stupid, precious, and utterly dependent. Now look, I don't know how hard we're supposed to press um, our side of Jesus' illustration, but all of this would have flooded to the mind amongst his ancient hearers. And it is the comparison that Jesus has chosen Deeper discipleship, it would appear, is increasingly identifying with Jesus as shepherd and us as his sheep. And so um, that's the framework that I'm going to take uh, to John 10 this evening. Uh, Jesus as good shepherd and us as good sheep. Uh, five brief thoughts, uh, three on the side of Jesus as good shepherd, and then two about being good disciples of Jesus, being good sheep, as it were. Three about Jesus, two about us. I don't know if you were here last week, but I, I have to smile. Uh, I had to smile last week when uh, Rob Forsyth uh, pointed out that the rector always sets the passages and decides who are going to preach on them. And so you might remember, you know, in our uh, Verbs of Discipleship uh, series, and um, Justin began with the verb to drink, uh, with those enviable streams of living water. Uh, next, uh, Rob was given apparent cannibalism, uh, to eat, uh, and eat flesh and drink blood. Uh, and then this week, well, I ended up with animal husbandry. But you know, it's actually not um, all bad for me because uh, far from um, these modern images, if you like, of sheep dogs and trail bikes and barbed wire pens and live cattle exports, far from that, ancient shepherding practices were actually often surprisingly intimate and personal. And so uh, my first thought then, remember three thoughts about Jesus as shepherd and, and then two in terms of us as good sheep. My, my first thought as we contemplate Jesus from John 10 is that he knows us intimately. Now again, a, a little bit of um, sort of uh, animal husbandry sort of context here. Um, apparently to this very day in the Middle East, a shepherd will go into a crowded sheepfold uh, picture in your mind uh, perhaps three or four families flocks all sort of mingling in together there overnight. Um, even today this happens. Uh, the shepherd will go into that crowded sheepfold and he'll call out his sheep one by one by name. They will recognise his voice and they'll come to him. In the ancient Near East, um, as we're beginning to see, shepherding was an intimate occupation. The Palestinian shepherd didn't drive his sheep. He went before them. He, he led them. And now out of time, most, out of town most time, because that's where all the grazing was, uh, shepherding was a 24-7 occupation. And these sheep were kept more for wool than for food. And so a shepherd might tend uh, each individual sheep 
for 10 years or more. Those of you who have pets who've, who've had a relationship with an animal for 10 years will know the intimacy there, uh, let alone a hundred <laughs> of them. And so you can see it was a highly personal, relational occupation, one of 24-7 care. And you know, that's why there's no sharper image of tragedy in the ancient mind than sheep without a shepherd, which Jesus uses, for example, in Matthew 9, where he says, when Jesus saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. So the first thought, our good shepherd knows us intimately. Jesus calls us by name. Brian, Jenny, Kim, Robin, Alex, Kat, James, Rihanna, Bell, Wendy, Jane. He knows you intimately, just like shepherd and tiny lamb. He, he was there when you were born. He's watched you grow. He rejoiced at your first steps. He patched you up when you grazed your knee, kept you safe crossing all those roads. Your first day of school, the roof over your head, the, all those meals that you've enjoyed, the laughter, the, the sadness, the lessons you've learned, all him. He's had his eye on you, set his heart upon you. He's loved you since before the beginning of time. And so I wonder, do you feel this closeness, this intimacy with him? Do you realize who you have in him? You know, I remember it um, as if it was yesterday, um, walking into the principal's office in year five at Chatswood Primary. And the door sort of slammed shut behind me and I sat on this low-down chair facing this big foreboding desk with the principal uh, right behind it, uh, one of those classic power plays. It turns out I'd just been voted vice-captain. But the air in that room was distinctly foreboding. Think of a, so if you've read Roald Dahl, think of a sort of a Miss Trunchbull-like figure up behind the big power desk. This is what she said. She said this. She said, I know what you've done. I'm going to let you be vice-captain, but I'll be watching you very closely. Now, for the life of me, <laughs> to this very day, I have no idea what she was talking about. Absolutely no idea. And, you know, I've even thought of accessing the school's records through freedom of information. Uh, it's so bugged me down throughout the years, or looking her up, um, seeing if that was just her annual trick to keep the prefects in line. But my point is this. Jesus knows what you've done. All of it. He knows every sin you've ever committed, the ways you're going to fall short this evening, and what's going to burst forth out of you in the years to come. He knows you. See there, verse 15. He knows you as the Father knows him, and as he knows the Father. I mean, what a staggering verse is that? Father, Son, Spirit living in eternal relationship. <laughs> How well do they know each other? And yet here Jesus can say that he knows us as the Father knows him and that he knows the Father. And you know what? He loves you all the same. This means you can trust in him. You can confide in him. 
You can share everything with him. You can walk daily with him and be utterly confident in his 24-7 forgiveness and protection and love and care. Our good shepherd knows us intimately. And secondly, second thought, he loves us as his own. See there in verse 3 and 4. It says, uh, verse 3, he calls his own sheep. And then verse 4, he, when he has brought out all his own. We're Jesus' own. Not a hired hand who runs away at the first sign of trouble. Not a thief or robber like the Pharisees that he's addressing of Ezekiel 34 fame. A false shepherds who are fleecing God's sheep rather than guarding and guiding and nurturing them. As disciples of Jesus, as followers of Jesus, we are his very own his precious possession, bought at a price. He will never leave us or forsake us, come what may. And look, if you need any more convincing on this point, um, just look how Jesus takes this shepherding imagery to the extreme. He, he pushes it to the extreme and even, even sort of breaks it. Um, you see, our good shepherd doesn't just risk his life in the face of danger. According to the text in front of us, His very vocation is to lay down his life for his sheep so that we might enter the eternal fold of God. I mean, this is repeated there lots. Verse 11, the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Verse 15, verse 17, I lay down my life. Verse 18, no one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. Verse 28, I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. Greater love has none than this. Secondly, Jesus loves us as his own. Thirdly then, um, Jesus, I want you to notice, blesses us in good times and bad. Come what may, we're safe in Jesus' arms. But more than that, um, you're not only safe, you're, you're blessed. See, in our passage, we have this uh, image of being led back and forth by Jesus between protection and plenty, between pen and pasture, between safe harbour in times of trouble and abundance. That's what it means to be a disciple of Jesus, someone who follows his call, follows his lead, hears his voice and obeys it. John 10.10, hear his voice. Jesus says, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Psalm 23, hear his voice. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. In good times, he makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. And in bad times, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. And into all eternity. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So what a shepherd we have in Jesus Three thoughts there. And, and now we turn um, to, I suppose, the response of what is it then to be good sheep? 
if we're to be better followers of Jesus, if we're to deepen our discipleship, our our relationship with him, our our trust in him, what does that look like? Uh, So we move from three thoughts about Jesus now to two thoughts about us as his sheep. And the first one is this. You can follow along in the outlines if you like. The The first one is this. Good sheep recognize their utter dependence on Jesus. Some of us need to to hear this. I I need to hear this. To flourish as a follower of Jesus, we must realise our utter dependency on him. This means we're not as bright as we think we are. We're prone to wander. We're prone to make bad choices. We're prone to stray from the path. You know it's true. We walk into fires. We gorge ourselves on what is bad for us. And some days, well, we just end up on our backs, legs frantically kicking in the air to no avail. I don't know if you've had a day like that recently, but I know I have. And all the while, Satan prowls around like a roaring lion waiting for someone to devour. And we're still, there's a a traitor in our midst our very own flesh, our very own sinful nature, our fallen nature that's just waiting to undo us at every turn. So all of this is to say is that, well, it's dangerous out there and it's dangerous in here. We need a good shepherd to keep us on the right path, to keep us from evil, to protect us even from ourselves. But you know, more than that, we actually need to listen to him. (laughs) Which means, secondly, uh, the most abiding characteristic of uh, all followers of Jesus, uh, the the sort of title of of this talk, is that we need to hear Jesus' voice. Uh, Week three, verbs of discipleship, to hear. Jesus' disciples hear his voice. We recognize his voice, verse 5. We know his voice, verse 4. We believe his voice, verse 26. We obey his voice, verse 3. He leads us and we follow him, verse 4. Listen to Jesus. My sheep listen to my voice and they follow me. So if you're committed to a deeper relationship with Jesus this year, then listen to his voice. Pray that his voice might always be at the edge of your consciousness by his spirit. Heaven and earth may pass away, Jesus says, but my words will never pass away. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world, yet forfeit their soul, he says. God the Father on the Mount of Transfiguration says this. He says, this is my son with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. Jesus later in John 14, if you love me, keep my commands. Anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. Hear his voice. You know, there's a beautiful image in uh, in Luke 15. And there Jesus tells the story of a shepherd who who leaves his 99 sheep in open country uh, to find one sheep who's lost. And you know, when he finds that one sheep, he rejoices. Luke 15, 7 Jesus, 
I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous people who do not need to repent. Are you feeling distant? Are you wandering, straying, falling behind? Are you feeling lost or distant in your faith? If so, Jesus is calling you. He's coming for you. It's what shepherds do. It's what Jesus does time and time again. If you'll only hear his voice and respond to his call. My talk uh, ends at the bottom of that outline uh, with some curious looking um, sort of script, um, which is Koine Greek. Um, Now, not to get technical at all, by the way, um, the words there um, mean, I am the good shepherd. Uh, There's a bit of emphasis there with the the two sort of uh, articles. And and then there's that word at the end there that's pronounced kalos. Um, Apparently the emphasis is on the O, that little thing there, kalos. And now, that's the sort of word that we translate in our English version as good. Uh, But in fact, uh, in the original Greek, the, the meaning is far richer. And so when you think of Jesus as the good shepherd, I think not so much of good, but more like noble or eminent or beautiful by reason of purity of heart and life. Noble, eminent, beautiful. Uh, and in the quote at the front of your zines, I think Charles Spurgeon, that great Baptist preacher, uh, catches the feeling of this, of this adjective. Uh, many years ago he said this. He says, there is more in Jesus, Spurgeon said, the good shepherd then you can pack away in a shepherd. He's the good, the great, the chief shepherd, but he's much more. Emblems uh, to set him forth day uh, may may be multiplied as as drops of the morning, but the whole multitude will fail to reflect all his brightness. Creation is too small a frame in which to hang his likeness. Human thought is too contracted. Human speech too feeble to set him forth to the full. He is inconceivably above our conceptions, unutterably above our utterances. Such is the nature of the one we follow. Why is he so beautiful? Because of the way he relates to us. He calls us by name, he knows us. We are his own. Why is he so beautiful? Because our passage says he's the gate. And when you hear his voice and go in, well, we find protection and salvation. And when he leads us out, we find pasture and abundant life. Why is Jesus so beautiful? Because of his heart. Because he laid down his life for his sheep. And he offers us all, every single person in this room, a place with him, every single one of us, And I can say that because of verse 16. Do you see there? Jesus says, I have other sheep outside of this sort of sheepfold of of Judaism. I must bring them in also. They too will listen to my voice, and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. Universal church. And of course, this means that uh, you're all in the Bible. And me too. I'm not Jewish, but I'm in the Bible. Um, I'm one of those other sheep. 
And even better than that, before the beginning of the world, my name was written in his book. And so was yours. If you just listen to Jesus' voice and accept him into your heart as your shepherd and saviour. How do you do that? Well, Jesus says, I am the gate. When he laid down his life, he became the gateway to salvation and abundant life. Jesus says, I am the gate. And he says in another place, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And he is. There's no other way to God but through Jesus. And so if you've heard his voice this evening and recognize yourself in his words, then believe in Jesus and he'll give you eternal life. You will never perish and no one will ever snatch you from his hands. Let me pray. Dear Lord Jesus, I'd like to echo again my opening prayer. Lord Jesus, please shape us, shape in us through the power of your Holy Spirit a new intimacy, a new dependency, a new, a new joy in you as we see you for who you truly are, as we seek to express our love for you in return by hearing your voice and obeying your commands. In your name we pray. Amen.